Listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Wellness. I am your host, Jacqueline London. Today's guest is a powerhouse. My guest today is Allie Wing. She is the CEO of a company called Oobly. That is spelled O-O-B-L-I. You probably have not heard of Oobly yet, but if you have, then you're already familiar with Sweet proteins. Sweet proteins are this new and emerging technology. I want to say that it's biotech. It's like at the intersection of biotech and food and beverage product development. It is fascinating. I learned so much from Ali. I learned so much about this new technology that I had never heard of that I'm really quite unfamiliar with. So we get into uh, a complete soup to nuts discussion about what are sweet proteins, what are their applications in food products? What else should we know about them? What is their safety, their efficacy? What do we know so far? What are the outstanding questions about sweet proteins? We get into all of it. So you're going to hear all of that and so much more. I absolutely loved this conversation with Allie. Her background is really interesting and how she got into this world of biotech meets CPG food products is fascinating in and of itself. So I know you're going to love it. As always, find me anywhere on social media at Jacqueline London RD at Jacqueline London on TikTok. And please, my favorite people, my wonderful listeners, feel free to leave a five-star rating and review. You know how much that just thrills me. Just makes me so happy. I can't think of anything I would appreciate more than that from you, my favorite listeners. All right. Let me know what you think, and I will see you on the other side. Enjoy the episode. Okay, Allie Wing, welcome to the Business of Wellness. I'm so thrilled to have you. What a pleasure. What a pleasure that you're joining me from the West Coast. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have the conversation and and always glad to talk about sweet proteins. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'm very excited to talk about sweet proteins and to learn about sweet proteins because it turns out I really don't know very much about them. But before we get into that, let's, let's start with you. What, tell us about you. Who are you? Where are you from? What, how have you found yourself here in working in sweet proteins? <laughs> oh, it's, it's a long journey. I won't, I won't bore you with the full arc. Um, the short version is I've spent my whole career kind of operating at the intersection of where technology helps disrupt healthy living or get at hacks for healthy living. And that's sort of been my passion. Um, I've now done it in five industries. So I'm new to biotech. Um, but I've been in consumer goods, um, building brands and building solutions around um, how to get the most out of technology to um, tackle some of the biggest obstacles we have today in healthy living. And that's what led me here. Awesome. So where were you? So you were how, well, how do I want to phrase this? <laughs> how old is the company? How old is, is Oobly and and what were you doing before you decided to join <laughs> this team? So Uli started before me. This is not okay. a company I founded. And I've joined the founders and they're amazing guys. But it's about eight years old. Um, but for oh. its first six to seven years, it was strictly a biotech R&D company, right? So about two years ago, their investors um, brought me in and to partner with them to really build a commercial strategy for consumers with them. So I've been here about two years and we're about one year live in market with actual solutions for consumers. So I'm super excited about that. Where I was is what led me here. Um, my most recent work was in the healthcare industry. Um, I was doing healthcare technology and I really have been passionate my whole career about just some of the big data sets of problems that we have as we sort of look across the landscape of what's holding us back from good health. And today you can't sort of not look at that world and see obesity and diabetes as this global issue. And this, and it's, again, 
we have it big in the U.S., but it's certainly not ours alone. This is a modern food supply shift and a modern lifestyle shift that's confronting all of this. And where I was, we were looking a lot of it in healthcare tech, but really my only tools were to medicate you, right? Because really what we did there was just keep make sure you stayed prescription compliant because as somebody who ran consumer, I could kind of help you with that behavioral feedback, but I couldn't actually help you get off medication. And so I became convinced that I needed to um, take a step earlier in the process and work in what I call which is what we're doing at Ubly, food is medicine, and how to help people make choices that allow prevention for better living, particularly aimed at obesity and diabetes. And that's what led me here. And that's what we're doing with sweet proteins. Wow. That is, that's quite the shift. And also good on you for recognizing that and noticing that. I feel like so much of my work as a dietitian is focused around exactly this, which is saying that there's only so much you can, yes, medication compliance is a necessary component of the treatment and the actual care process for anyone who is currently sick. But what are we doing about people who don't want to become sick and simply don't know necessarily what steps to take in order to prevent right. and, and do anything in the field of prevention? So uh, huge kudos to you to rec you. For recognizing that. That's super Thank awesome. You. Listen, I'm a huge fan uh I mean, nobody could sit in our this country and say we don't have an incredible healthcare system if you're sick. I don't think we can say the same about how to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and we just, it's a cultural thing about how we've um, evolved many systems, not just healthcare. And I'm more passionate than ever about spending my days focused on tackling exactly that and trying to give tools to people to live better long before you have to manage sickness. Mm. I think it's a great point. All right. So tell us about Tell us about Oobly. What's going on? I like the name. I mean, Thank you. I've said it a Thank couple of times since I, since knowing that we were planning on this interview, I've said it out loud a number of times. It's very cute. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, I will start with the name for fun because of yes. course I launched, I, we built the name for a commercial launch and I love that you just said it's happy. And yes. the reason I'm going to start there is um, it is a biological um, normal part of humanity to crave sweets. So the last thing I want to do is offer a solution that's about making people feel bad. Um, and a lot of what we've done around the issue of which parts of our diet need modification in order to tackle things like obesity and diabetes is kind of guilt marketing. And um, what I think is really important to understand is there, there is, you know, sugar in and of itself is not bad. The amount we consume is what's bad. Um, and the desire to crave sweets actually kept us alive for centuries, right? That was an important part of how we evolved as humans. We just weren't designed to have it recklessly abundant in our diets. So an important part of the Oobly name, which comes from where one of our proteins was actually found in West Africa, it's a cute story. Um, the locals would call the fruit that had um, the Oobly fruits in it so sweet that they forgot their mother's milk. And Oobly means forgetfulness in French, which is what it became known as a shortcut. So it's, it's a really sweet heritage. And with that, we, we we just sort of fell in love with the word too, because it's kind of a happy, inclusive joy. And all those things are the right emotions that we associate with sweets, right? Um, so we want to give the joy back, but make sweets as good for your body as it is for your soul. That's really our goal at, at, at Oobly. So what are sweet proteins? I need to tell yes. you. Yes, you, I know. They you are not like, alone. How much, longer, how much longer can we go on without me asking that question? <laughs> and you are not alone and not knowing. Okay, I mean, honest, honestly, I know a lot of 
biotechnologists that don't know what sweet proteins are. And so they, these have been known um, in academic circles for about 20 years. And what they are is there are some plants and berries, so they're all plant-based, that grew up along the equator um, in a bunch of different countries, West Africa, Southeast China, but along the equator is our commonality. And we, we discovered them in research, but we had no way to really access them. Mm. And what we figured out they did is they evolved to create one tiny little protein that basically momentarily binds with your taste receptor instead of like a most small molecules, which is what sugar or sh sugar-like um, alternatives are. And they kind of bombard your taste buds. Um, and they did that so that they would trick an apra gorilla to be attractive to that plant without using as much photosynthesis as requiring more green leaves. Because to survive, plants and berries everywhere always have to ha be eaten and then their seeds spread, right? And apes and gorillas and humans are the only ones that actually... Um, have this effect from the protein. And these plants and berries evolved to say, listen, it's too expensive to produce these carbohydrates. Um, what if we produce one tiny little protein that tricks them to think that in their mouth, they just got sugar, but the moment they swallow it, they just ate a protein. Now that was a dirty trick maybe hundreds of years ago to an apra gorilla, but it could exactly be nature's perfect solution for what we have today, where we love the sweet, we love the experience in our mouth, but our body is rejecting it because of the volume that we're eating. So hence sweet proteins and hence what we're trying to do. The original research, which started with my founders, actually was focused on the academic research um, because a couple of the sweet proteins are unique. They are more of a taste modifier than just a sweetener. Mm -hmm. And there started to be some early healthcare applications to help people that during, let's say, cancer treatments or like chemotherapy or dementia, get ischemia and lose their ability to taste. That's where the research started. But as we started looking at the plants and um, berries, we realized that a bunch of them are just sweeteners. Wait a minute. What if we could actually take out sugar and put in sweet proteins, let you have the sweet you want in your mouth, but then you digest it as a protein, which we know is a very game-changing, di different approach to your body. Um, is there a way for us to help in a broader um, uh, category than just uh, limited medical application, but really with everybody that's struggling with their sweet tooth. And that is how Ubli was born is to go tackle that. Wow. Okay. I have so many questions to ask you, <laughs> but I let's start, let's start with something that you mentioned about the taste, because I've seen a number of products that have kind of crept their way into the consumer market. And I would imagine many of our listeners who, who are, are here with us right now, have also seen some of these too, because they've made, they've crept their way onto the consumer market and therefore they've, they've made their appearance on social media and come up in, in kind of different forms of like, I tried this taste modification berry or whatever. Mm -hmm. I literally, I would reach behind me, but I, I the miracle berry, them. the yeah. miracle berry, exactly. Like things that kind of modify your taste profile so that you are experiencing sweet tastes, even when you're consuming something savory and they last for, let's say a half an hour, or they last for an hour, depending yeah. on the type of product or the dose, the amount, all of that. So what, what makes, first of all, is, is Oobly the same? Are sweet proteins that you're using, is this a operating under a, the similar type of physiologic mechanism of action or well, let's, start, let's start with that. Okay. The one that you're referring to miracle berry was actually, yeah. and it's the protein is called miraculin. And it yeah. was actually the first protein that we started looking at the research that is for health applications. Cause the unique thing, although it's become kind of this party tripping idea that you can taste the, you know, change the taste in your mouth. It's actually what works with ischemia. So that's why we right. got, that's why the early researchers were excited about it. What they quickly figured out is that particular sweet protein is not like the others. 
The other ones are just a sweetener, most of them, right? That's certainly the only one that changes sour to sweet because that's the only one I know that's out there. And it is a sweet protein. Let me tell you what's similar about what you're talking about and then what's how it's all different than what you know today as sugar, sugar alternatives. Yeah. What's similar is that these are proteins. And what do we know about proteins? They're macronutrients, right? Mm-hmm. So we know how our bodies use proteins. We know that they unfold and how they break down and go through our digestion. We know they don't trigger blood sugar levels, right? We actually know a lot about proteins. And these are proteins that do exactly the same thing. They just have an upfront ability to, they momentarily, as they pass through your mouth, they bind with your taste receptor at the same place because they evolved to, to mimic sugar or be a trickster sugar that small molecules, which is what every sugar or carbohydrate-like sugar alternative is doing is kind of bombarding. That's kind of a wash in your mouth. Those though, as you move through your digestion then are interacting with your metabolic system, right? Mm -hmm. Different levels, depending on which one, everyone will debate how much or how little, but they're all small molecules. So functionally they move through your body similarly. Mm -hmm. So what's common about the one you're asking is they're, what they have in common is they are proteins. So we know proteins work a certain way, but for some reason, these ones evolved along the equator to also have this sort of momentary trickster in your mouth, mm-hmm. right? Which is to tickle your taste bud, essentially. Um, one of them, which is the Miraculum, which probably got the most press early on, is unique, really different. Um, and it actually turns sour to sweet. Interesting. Okay. So you mentioned something here that I have to double click into for a second, which sure. is the, the Mirac- Miraculin, Miraculin, mm-hmm. Miraculin, the first Miraculin. Okay. Is that it got a lot of press. What, what would you say is on a, uh, just from your experience and since you be, since you, you joined as CEO of this company, what's been your experience of bringing a scientific topic and, and a concept <laughs> like this to market for consumer press and consumer media and, and marketing in general? <laughs> it's not easy, you know, <laughs> it's really not, is it? No, it's not. Tell no. us. I mean, (laughs) I am a career consumer marketer by definition, right? And so I've spent a career trying to meet the consumer where they are. And I think the reason it's complicated is a few factors. And the first couple were consumers too, even though we're in our different roles. I, I, I think they're sort of fair. And one is you generally are operating in a very skeptical consumer market today. They're tired of the promise and the lack of delivery. Right. Yes. Um, they're also, I, I always like to say, sort of lost in the sauce. They're confused by the translation of science to our regulatory requirements, whether that's a label, whether that's an NFP, whether that's something that mm. we have to put on a disclosure, because yes. frankly, it's complicated. It's, you know, there are 50 Too different types of right. sugar, right? Mm. And very few can follow the bouncing ball, right? Yep. So there's a fatigue. There's a skepticism. And then you come at this and you look at the last 20 to 25 years, just in the category of our health and our health hasn't gotten better. Right. right? So you've got this reverse trend. So I come at this human first, right? So consumer first, I'm not immune to any of those things. And I say, I get it. So our job and our hardest part, even though we're a biotech company, unlocking what I think is nature's best gift Um, for the sweet tooth, which I think is what's cool because it comes from plants, um, is really actually building the trust with consumers. And that Mm -hmm. I know is your question, which is how do you take complexity? Because in a way I have to take people back to biology 101 and remind them what a macronutrient is versus a micronutrient. And most of us don't remember that, right? Oh, oh, most of us don't know. Yes. (laughs) 
most of us maybe never were taught that. So yeah. Yeah. Right. So here's my thinking, and this is how we hope to do it. And certainly it's our strategy. There are many instances and different audiences, different formats, like when I'm talking to an educated dietitian that I can have a different dialogue, we'll spend that time in education. But really, I think what the game changer is, if you look at this market, it's not just the efficacy of this health solution. It's the fact that generally consumers already trust proteins. They don't really know why they do. They don't really know the science as to why they should, but they generally trust it. And I think the greatest gift that we can offer with sweet proteins is introduce them that proteins, this thing they already trust, can do more than build swell. It can also give them their sweet tooth. And they don't have to figure out the 50 forms of sugar. That I think is our pathway for simplicity. And I think simplicity is really important here to regain trust with consumers. Oh, I love that. That's so well said. I also think you're really working with, you know, with sort of like all of the good stuff on the table, the, all of your, you're working with like a full, full, I want to say full deck of cards. <laughs> I feel like that's not maybe the analogy, but okay, we'll just go with it. Listeners just bear with me, but you're, you have a lot going for you simply because I think something else about protein that perhaps our listeners know, or maybe uh, are, are becoming more familiar with is that there is a satiety promoting component of this nutrients biochemistry, right? Like of the way that this is actually digested, absorbed and metabolized in your body is slightly tends to promote greater feelings of satiety working throughout your body. So I wonder if you can explain a little bit more about that. Like how does that kind of biofeedback inform how you create new products? Yeah. For, for consumers? Well, I have to put a little asterisk there because I need to educate you a little bit on sweet proteins because they do have one really interesting characteristic, right? They are 2000 to 5,000 times sweeter on a weight, weight basis than sugar, which means, so let's say I make a cool, sweet protein tea, right? And let's say it's peach tea. holding up the oobly tea. Okay. Right. Excellent. The reality is, is I'm never in about 16 ounces. Let's say we had a 16 ounce orange soda. I won't pick a name. Let's just say an orange soda (laughs) would have about 16 to 18 cubes of sugar in it. That would be the equivalent. Right. With sweet proteins and with a beverage, you take the sugar cubes out, you really only have to have about 0.03 to 0.04 milligrams of sweet protein. So it's small. It's mm-hmm. always going to be less than one gram in the 16 ounce, right? Okay. Yeah. So, and the rest oh. is water. That's the beauty of it, particularly in beverages where you don't have to replace bulking, like in a chocolate bar or something like that, right? It's just water. But I think that's important because inherently everything you just said is true. Proteins are like any protein, so they encourage satiation. And that right. is actually what we know about their properties. But we're not actually doing protein loading with these because you use too small of amount. So I always get asked the question, are you low calorie? Are you zero, zero calorie? Are you zero sugar? To be honest with you, we're not really trying to be any of those trying things. We're trying to be healthy. And those aren't necessarily markers for healthy. Um, what we are trying to do is give you the taste profile you want, which is a sweet profile, and dramatically 75 to 90% reduction in sugar, and the rest is just clean label, right? And in that, you'll probably always use a small enough amount that it'll dramatically reduce calories because you took out a lot of sugar and you put in protein that was a small amount, but you won't really protein load, right? We now, we could add protein. One of the things we've been asked a lot, we're working with several athletes right now on bringing sweet proteins to some of the sports recovery drinks because there's a big demand for that. And it would allow them to keep that flavor profile without the what a lot of the alternatives create. So they're excited about it. 
And one of the things they keep asking us is, can we just add in protein? We, we certainly can like anybody else, but you yeah. wouldn't use a sweet protein that way because it's too intense. So in other words, you would use a different type of protein to actually get the protein load. Whereas with a, with a sugar sweetened beverage, sugar is four calories per gram, but you need a, quite a number of those in order to get the sweet taste into six exactly. ounces of a beverage. Okay. Right. Got it. So in other words, sweet proteins are really about sweetening, right? right. They're we're really, we can add protein, but that would be a different protein and it would yes. be the proteins you already know for that job. Yes. Right. Nice little recovery blend, little whey casein mix. <laughs> exactly. You know exactly what we're working with. Um, Things that aren't altering the flavor too much, but are giving athletes what they're really looking for, particularly in a recovery drink. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, all right. So let's go, let's go back a little bit to the discovery and to, to the, the chemistry of this. So your founders discovered sweet proteins. Perhaps they were not the discoverers of sweet proteins, but they were involved in the process. Give us some of that backstory. They stumble on this, <laughs> this kind of chemical, I, I want to say anomaly, a little bit of like a chemical anomaly. Like what is going on? These are proteins. They taste sweet to humans. Let's start with that. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> so I want to give credit that about probably 20 years ago, some universities throughout the world, some academic researchers yeah. found out about sweet proteins, but okay. it's very hard to get your hands on these. These plants and berries grow in really hard to reach places. Consider them the exact definition of pressure ecosystems along mm -hmm. the equator that we do not need to disrupt more, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like the type that they are. So they're hard to get your hands on. So they did research about eight years ago, the first founder, a guy named Alan Perlstein, his mother got cancer. Mm -hmm. and was going through chemotherapy and had ischemia, And wow. he had done a bunch of research in this area as biochemist and focused on um, ways to help her with eating during chemo, which we all know is a hard thing. And that's where Miraculin came up. Okay. Yeah. He brought on Jason, my CTO and co-founder, um, who started looking at this problem with them. And they started looking at the sweet proteins. They're both bi biochemists and said, wait a minute, we have this massive issue of obesity and diabetes. And most of these are sweeteners. I think this health application is important, but the bigger one is how do we help everyone be healthier? So they started looking at that, but they quickly realized, which was kind of the next moment in time, to grow them would be an ecological disaster. It would be to have sweet proteins only for the wealthy in the world, because the very definition of how they grow would make them an elite access product, which mm -hmm. by definition means we wouldn't be bending the global health curve, right? Right. And number two, they would be a planet disaster. Mm -hmm. But Jason is a fermentation expert. So he said, wait a minute, these proteins are the perfect example of what we can use in the new world of fermentation, not different really than what we've used for cheese or wine or beer for years. We can have a host yeast, a yeast that's been used in food for a long, long time, actually teach it to grow these. And then we dry it and only have the DNA from the plant as the product that is sort of the sugar, it's sort of a sugar powder equivalent that goes into our products. And that we can do in three really important ways. One, we can do it in scale in whatever region we need it. So it's light from a climate point of view in terms of production in the world. Two, it can be affordable in a way that it could be a mass solution because one of the things that holds us back with really changing the food supply is matching our modern food systems demands for the cost of goods sold right? If yes. you can't actually be in that affordability, you can't get at broad appeal. And that's really important to us. We want this to be a solution 
in Alabama as much as San Francisco. I am not looking for a Hamptons only product, right? That's not what we're trying to do, right? Love that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and then third is we found out we could actually really do it in a way that could allow us to harvest and understand all sweet proteins, the universe of them. There are about 20 known so far in the world. We probably think there's more, we're going to find them. And what's cool is about Six, for each of them, they're about 60% the same from a homology point of view, but about 40% different. And what we found as we've started to work on them on our um, R&D platform is they're kind of different tools in a toolkit because they were each trying to solve the same problem, but they did it slightly differently. So they slight they mimic sugar slightly differently. So fast forward to what do we think that means? When you combine them, they're, they get more and more a perfect indistinguishable replacement for sugar. So wow. we have six proteins on our platform today. Um, we have three through our first, they're the first ever regulated in the world um, as safe to be available in food. Um, our fourth one should come through this fall. And we're beginning to look at combinations to tackle food from beverages to um, confectionery to baked goods to dairy. Wow. Wow. Okay. So this leads me to my next question, which is so, and I, I say this because I was so excited to, to even learn your name and to, to learn about Oopley and, and just the, the concept of it seems so novel. And also, like you said, there doesn't seem to be a huge leap in the mindset shift that's required for a consumer to simply try this, right? You could be right. someone who personally tolerates, um, non-nutritive sweeteners. I'm definitely one of those. I, I, personally enjoy a beverage that is, that is a diet beverage that's sweetened with aspartame and sucralose and acesulfame, potassium and all of the good stuff, right? Good stuff. <laughs> in but I, I think, but I also can see how this has broader application and where you might be using this in a bunch of different places. So where did it start that, because I've seen, and, and forgive me, I've seen this on your website, but tell me if this is other places. I feel like, so have you guys started so far with beverages and I think there's a chocolate product as well. There is chocolate with both. Yeah, oh, she's sitting bars. with it. It's right there next to her. How cute. I wouldn't show up without my cute little pro oh products. My gosh, so. I love it. Yeah, wow. they're really cute. Um, our big real launch of chocolate. These are three dark chocolate we did kind of for marketing to show people we could do it where we had to replace bulking. Yeah. You'll appreciate this as a dietitian. Yeah. These are not just 75% less sugar. Um, they're also one third of your daily fiber because we we bulk with acacia fiber instead. So, um, so they're really good. Um, they just taste like great chocolate. And as of about two weeks from now, we will have four new dark chocolates in full chocolate bar sizes. These are little because we did this marketing activity um, and milk chocolate in four flavors um, mm. due to popular demand. And the best thing, our new chocolate bars, the dark chocolate, it's one gram of sugar per serving. Wow. Okay. Now let me just, let me just ask you more about that. So one gram of sugar per serving, meaning that there's no, are there, are there sugar alcohols in there? Please tell me no. No, we would never Thank use you. sugar alcohols in Thank our, you. our products. I <laughs> Because I feel like I, I see so many chocolates everywhere that are, that fall into this category of the quote unquote, better for you chocolate. I also feel like I'm seeing this everywhere with beverages too. And I just feel like, listen, they, just because something is safe doesn't mean that people will tolerate them that well. Right. Like, and I, I I've found this 
time and time again with sugar alcohols. I was just on a panel last week where we were talking, kind of deep diving on the study that came out earlier in the year about erythritol. And it was looking about looking at some of the health concerns. And honestly, the study was very flawed. Like there were plenty of problems with the study. I still reserve the idea that there is potential for, for other things that we will find out in years to come about using a naturally occurring substance in high doses like this. That I think is what's really so compelling to me about the three proteins is that you just mentioned this earlier is you you're using by definition mm-hmm. of what it is, you're using a very small amount. So trace amounts, it's a yeah. trace amount. So in order to create the product that you're looking to create, you really don't have to load up on a certain compound so that even if it's found naturally occurring in our environment, we don't have to overload people with it in order to get a sweet taste, that's which right. is really what causes the GI side effects for so many people when they consume sugar alcohols. Anyway, that's my long winded. No, that's right. You're exactly right. For our own products, anything we put our brand on as our products, we're just, I don't care where it shows up on the NFP, whether it hits sugar or not, as sugar alcohols are our trick there. Um, We aren't doing anything that's a backdoor to to diabetes. Like we're just very clean ingredients, right? It's super simple. Um, Eighth grade level language. um, That's kind of our preferred mode. Um, When we, but we can also be a rehabilitation tool for any of your suites. And one of the things we're working with is companies at every size, and we hope they will also remove all of those, but we will at least start to help them down that path to start removing those things and what, what they use sweet proteins to try to change that taste profile. So, so why, so why first beverages and then chocolate? Where did that concept start? And I I feel like you had a role in that. (laughs) I did. I did. Um, Well, a couple things. I mean, sweet proteins have the central role, right? So there's a little bit of what do we know about them? And there is a product protein fit that's really quick with beverages. Why? Because the only role of sugar in beverages is sweetening. There's no bulking role. Right. There's no other sugar role, right? So right. when you talk about coming as a solution, we just bring the pro- protein and take out the sugar and the rest is water, right? So it's a very right. quick fit. So practically that is somewhat the inherent nature of of proteins, though it can be solved in every product category in something like a chocolate bar. And you know this, 50% of the weight of a typical chocolate bar is actually sugar. It's the bulking role. So when we take all that out, we don't just have to replace sugar. We had to make decisions like acacia fiber, right? So Mm. formulation process to make it the chocolate you've always tasted takes longer, right? So that's a practical part. The real reason that we started is when you zoom out and say, look at, the world's issue of obesity and diabetes. And you and I both know it's not just sugar that's the mm-hmm. problem, but it's a chief culprit. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 a, it's a major player in the game of, of, of the world problem. But if you really peel back the onion, what's the biggest category that's contributing today? It's beverages. It's how we drink, yeah. right? Yes. And it's the 35 to 40% daily added sugar culprit for mm-hmm. most of us worldwide. So- Our goal, and I would say this on behalf of my founders, we sort of wake up each day, yes, to build great science and to build great consumer solutions, but it's really with the mission of bending the global health curve. So start with the biggest category. Where can we have the biggest impact first? And that's beverages. Wow. I love that. All right. So let me ask you this because just zooming out for a second, something that I have often found that comes up in the conversation and not to compare carbohydrates to proteins, but I will for a moment or, or pseudo carbohydrates to proteins, but carbohydrate like, exactly. (laughs) When it comes to non-nutritive sweeteners, what I find myself talking about so much. And when I hear from others in CPG in the space, 
who are talking about the benefits of their product that is sweetened with a, um, let's say monk fruit or uh, stevia or any, anything, anything, whether it is a quote unquote natural um, non-nutritive sweetener, or it is an artificial non-nutritive sweetener, like the ones I named before, we hear this so often, right? Which is like, this is amazing. And it's, it's totally clean ingredients. And it's so, you know, it's, it's not going to do anything to your blood sugar, but it's also this beautiful nutrition profile and it does this and it's saving the planet. And it's also reducing greenhouse gas <laughs> emissions. By, right? And you can, if you drink enough of it, you can also fly to the moon, right? Like we get a lot of, <laughs> get a lot of this type of marketing. But one thing that I, I have often found is sort of my, my kind of like hill to die on when it comes to the topic of the overconsumption of sugar in the American diet is that so many of these products that are out there are attempting to solve a problem that is very much understandable. And I think you're so spot on with what you said about starting with beverages and that, that shows everything as to why it's so important. The number one source of added sugar is beverages, but I also, I also have to ask you what, when it comes to so many of these products, I just think to myself, these are all great. And so many of them will continue to succeed or, or not because of their taste, because of their marketing, because of their distribution, because of so many other factors. Right. But a lot of them perhaps should not exist simply because <laughs> the place that people are consuming added sugars in their everyday eating patterns is not from the sugar that they're knowingly consuming. It's from yeah. the sugar that they just it's don't- all the hidden sugar. Exactly, right. And I find myself working with people on this all the time. And I have to say the huge benefit of you starting with beverages is that it really meets my needs as a dietitian, right? Is that so often I will say, let's just start with the beverages. Let's just look at what you're actually drinking in a day and start there. And we, we've already done so much work just by our third, fifth session, just by starting in that place. But what about for the- the consumer demographic at large. If we, if so much of the sugars that we're consuming are from unknowing sources or things that we didn't necessarily choose to consume because we thought that they would be sweet, how is where is where does Ubli fit in that? And how do you attempt to, to kind of solve this larger issue? I definitely don't think the problem as big as we have it today. And just we look at the it's the intersection of kind of how we've disintermediated health from our diet, right? Like our bodies from our diet, how we've evolved our modern food supply, probably with an over-index on creating demand and reducing cogs. Um, and then we intersect that with a healthcare system that's probably superpower is fixing us when we're broken, but not keeping us healthy, right? So you look at all those and I will not tell you that what we're going to do will be a big bang moment. This is a beginning of a big movement to that sits right along with people being aware of, I always say it's still the eighth grade kindergarten, eighth grade or kindergarten rules, whichever ones you adopt in your house, everything's still about moderation. Can you pronounce it? Does, is it bright color? It is, you know, nothing's really going to replace that in terms of our, our, over our health. Yeah. So, so I don't think that anything we can do is a one movement. So what I'm focused on is what I can do over the next 10 to 20 years. And that next 10 to 20 years is to take a place where consumers already have identified a trust, where they're really otherwise pretty uh, skeptical, fairly so, um, and build on it. Build on it to give them a way to start to look to be a more educated consumer that goes past the NFPs, right? Which is how do I get the overall thing less sugar and start to be marked and identified as with sweet proteins? Because if I'm getting my sweetness from proteins, 
I can actually have a pathway to health. Um, and that's a big game changing change for us. I don't think it's an overnight thing. I do think it's hard for all the reasons you just said. I always tell people in my own world, I don't actually think the hard part for most people trying to reduce sugar is to cut out dessert. It's actually to cut out, it's to actually take a look at their wholesale diet and say, where are they getting sugar in all the places they don't think they're getting it, right? Um, And that's a much harder one because when you and I were little, 20 years ago, what we got is the amount of sugar in our breakfast yogurt. It's very different than it's in it today. That's true in our dressings. That's true in our ketchup. That's true in our cereals. It's across all the board. And that's because it's been an industry growth. I don't think anybody woke up to be bad, but everybody's job was to sell more and to create habits. And guess what? We're biologically designed to crave it. So we crave more, the more you give us, right? That's all human nature. It's just the perfect storm. So my, when I step back and look at this world, I really spend time not trying to demonize anybody in the sugar or sugar alternative space. I think of sugar a lot like I do fossil fuel. It's Mm -hmm. a really important crop. It's done so many good things for us. We just need to upgrade its role. It needs to be an input into our process, not an output in all of our foods because our bodies are failing as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And the problem with most sugar alternatives, while I respect the research and the goal of trying to figure out how we're going to not be so dependent upon this craving, is they're all walking down the same alley of carbohydrate, carbohydrate light. And that's actually where our body's failing right? So they might have, and a lot of them do, good debates. I won't get into all the clinical research debates that are out there. We both know that there are puts and takes in all of those. The best they can say is their degrees of more or less of how a carbohydrate or carbohydrate-like molecule moves through your body. We know what proteins do and they're a game changer. So Mm -hmm. they operate differently in your body. So I just always say, listen, They're debating that and there's good reason that they're debating it because we should be paying attention to it, but they're all kind of operating in a really complicated category of gray, levels of gray. Proteins are proteins and we want to keep leaning into where we know they're good for us for some of these things that we could really liberate our diets with. Um, And we think sweet tooth can be best be liberated with a protein. I love that. So what right now, what is the focus of Oobly right now, today? Mm-hmm. it's October 23rd. <laughs> We're recording this. Well, what's your current focus? Because I, I respect this so much. I think it's such a unique product and such a unique, um, scientific tool. And I think the way that you're describing this is, is mostly inspiring to me because I think it is that the tool is, is like the perfect word. It's another tool to help us better inform how we're going to approach prevention at large. That's right. I think, I think you make a great case for that. So where are you guys right now? What's happening? My now? most important thing is things like exactly this conversation. Mm. It's about educating. Yeah. Um, the single most important thing we can do is to spread the word. Most people know proteins. They've never heard of sweet proteins. Most people say like a protein, like a sugar, like a protein, like a sugar. No, actually (laughs) just a sweet protein, just still a protein. Um, It's a new concept. So it's spending time to be in the conversation and to make the facts accessible, right? And we do that through video, through podcasts, through news, through blogs, all sorts of things. We're doing every type match that with the single next most important thing we need to do. We're in food, right? Yeah. Get people tasting. Tasting is believing at the end of the day, no matter what I do, if it doesn't taste great, we won't have followers, right? So right now, if you actually go on our website um, at oobly.com, you can actually get a free 
six pack from us. If you listen to an educational vi video by Dr. Ryder explaining oh, the 101 oh. yeah. of, of um, proteins. Now we can't actually just send it to anybody. And our goal yeah. is not everybody wants to, to understand. And it, it does take an investment of time to kind of understand some of the basics. So if you want to and you learn more, we send you a free six pack. Why? We want your feedback. You know, at the end of the day, there isn't a product with sugar in it that we can't ultimately be a rehabilitation tool for. And we intend to do that. At the same time, products are full of tastes and preferences that have nothing to do with sugar. And so it's good to start letting people start to taste it in its different forms. Some will be some consumers' favorite products. Some will be others. I get lots of feedback on our chocolate about people that think it's too dark of a chocolate or too thick. And that has nothing to do with sweet protein. That's just the chocolate bar we have out or right. the thing they love about it, right? So food is full of different segments and preferences. And the more we can get out having people um, eat it, try it, taste it, and become familiar with it, um, the more we think that's going to be a pathway for people understanding why this can be a beacon for their health. Mm. What's so interesting to me is based on your background, I, I love and I also have questions about <laughs> You, I, I think it's so brilliant to say that you're in biotech, right? Because you are in biotech. I mean, that is literally what it is. I mean, there's no other word for it. But at the same time, I wonder if you ever get like, are people ever like, you're in biotech, but it's a food product? Like, do you ever do you ever get that kind of like disconnect? You do, right? For sure. That's why I'm very clear always to say we're working with a non-GMO and we're plant-based. Yeah. Because yeah. do you really want a science project in your food? Most people, we just don't really like the idea of that. Why do I think science is important in food supply? It's critical. Because it's all of food. Yes. It's, it's all of food and it's in all our food anyway. So yeah. whether we think it or not, even the best food is the way we grow it is full of science today. So um, it's a, an important part of it. I also think as we look at the world, part of what's led up to our sort of what I consider our our food ghettos, um, um, our lack of access or sort of the volume of low nutrient foods for lower income families um, has been this COGS piece. And so when we think about how do we scale businesses going forward, let alone not wanting to destroy the planet any more than we have, right? Um, we have to figure out ways that strike a better balance of nutrition with scale and access and affordability um, with planet. And fermentation, which is our technology platform that we're on, by all accounts, and don't listen to me, this is broadly mm -hmm. viewed in the world, we believe will be one of the great unlocks for world food supply that's healthier. It's, it's something in a way that's like new tech, but old tech, because we've yes. been using fermentation in wine and beer and cheese for years, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it now can use these new applications. And we think there's a perfect marriage there that will be a real unlock to us bringing, um, removing food ghettos and getting nutrients back in at a way that can be affordable and accessible, let alone sort of plant it friendly why we're doing it. So, so it's that fermentation. I will tell you, and I love your question. Mm -hmm. I don't spend a lot of time, even if you look at our website or any of the places we're out, we don't talk a lot about um, the tech platform with consumers because yeah. it's not really what they want to know. They want to know, does it taste good and how, and can I afford it? And what does it do to my body? Yes. Um, and in right. that order. Um, and the reality is, is that's really where we'll spend most of our time with consumers, but it's important in conversations like this, people that are working with people that are trying to tackle it to help us with the education, right? And there we will openly always talk about the platform because um, it's also a beautiful part of the solution that we're really excited about. We wouldn't have this plant solution without technology because you couldn't grow them enough. They would right. be really in a, inaccessible to the average person, 
right? Um, and what we don't need is more of sort of just for the wealthy playground, right? We we really do Absolutely. need, you know, all communities to have access to um, betterment. And I, you know, I go to bed every night really with this idea that it, it scares me. I am passionate about the world and climate. And I grew up with parents that were farm to table before anybody had words like that right. because they were old farming families, <laughs> right? Um, so they didn't, I didn't know why we couldn't have soda. We just weren't allowed to. And it was mostly because of budget, but it was also because they didn't believe if you made it, it was very good for yeah. you. Right. Well, by the way, um, remember when soda was considered sort of like expensive, like it was oh, like a fancy thing. Me? Right? Well, it's like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm one of nine Great children. Point. Believe Great me, point. We, yeah. it was, it was not affordable. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I look at all that, but when I, as much as I think about the climate challenges in front of us, and I think they're big and they're real throughout the world. I think I'm more scared of our health challenges because Absolutely. if I feel the same way, if yeah. 40% of our world's population is operating every day on suboptimal health, how do we tackle any big problems? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. And I also find that so many things in that share your space are often selling, like got some sort of consumer data point that was like, you know, millennials and Gen Z care about, care about the climate. They're very concerned about climate. And yes, that, that's true. I'm sure that that is true. But I think to some extent, some of this is like reinforced marketing through all of the products that you see on shelves. We're again, reducing carbon emissions by 50% by 2038. And you're like, for crying out loud, like, how can you even promise that? Like, I don't even know. And it's like, a like, these are our biodegradable packing peanuts. And I'm like, just don't send this to me because it's garbage anyway. (laughs) Right. That was the beginning of the problem. Right. Right. There's just so many issues that come up like this or my favorite, like, and my listeners have heard me talk about this ad nauseum, but like the plant-based beef, like of it all, where I'm like, really, but how many car, how much carbon goes into the factory that you had to build in order to create this this non-existent, you know what I, like, I just, I I agree. Listen, so many, I think environment is as complicated of a calculation or a formula as health, right? Exactly. Yeah. So if you see a silver bullet headline, you should be dubious, right? It doesn't mean we don't have revolutions happening. I think there's a revolution in fermentation platforms. I think they will be a key to planet and food supply at access. I think we have a revolution in sweet proteins and I think it's for health. Right. Completely. So I, I'm very excited about some macro revolutions, but mm-hmm. I'm not a very easy sale on a quick headline. I love that. What is the feedback that you've gotten so far? Just just out of curiosity. I mean, you you've gotten this out to some consumers. I love that you're doing this for that feedback. What have you heard so far from people? For the most part, we get great. I would say when we do our sensory tests, if we do our formulation job, right? Like we're not the only ones who's ever made tea in the world or made chocolate, right? So there will be some people, no matter what we do that like or don't like, but we aim to kind of have a benchmark and get four out of five people to not know we've taken the sugar out. That's sort of our goal. Generally speaking, we run around four to 4.2 to 4.4 star ratings. And we have thousand ratings so far. So as people come back and give us feedback, it's pretty in line with those numbers. Now, I will tell you, food is humbling. (laughs) The process is humbling. The moment anybody thinks it's sugar reduction, I think before they even tasted a certain amount of them say it tastes artificial, there must be an aftertaste. There's a lot of words that come up. And I always find that ironic because it's plant-based. So there is nothing artificial. Um, But there's a strong set of connotations around this idea of reducing sugar that are pretty um, hardwired, right? 
there are two things, and I, I think it's fun to share this with you because I love your, yeah. your science-based knowledge. Um, there's two things that are different when you have a sweet protein. And put, I get asked a lot. You haven't asked it, but I'll volunteer it. Yeah. Why do we still leave like one gram of sugar in our doc, dark chocolate? Or why in our teas, which we love and are super popular, our peach teas are yeah. fa- the favorite, um, we still have uh, six or seven grams of sugar. We have five grams of fruit. And then we have one to two grams of a small amount of sugar. And there's a why to that. And the why is... Small molecules, when they hit your mouth and mm. any sort of carb or carbohydrate, they're immediate. And our brains at this point are a very fine-tuned instrument on sugar. Small um, sweet proteins, because they kind of, they either momentarily bind, like they bind as they move through, or they, like a miraculin, binds for 20 minutes, right? Which is very unique. Yeah. Um, they take about a half second to a second, depending on you to feel that sweetness. And so one of the things we leave a little in so that you don't notice the difference because they are molecularly different. They're mechanically different in terms of how they do that, right? Um, And then of course, because they bind, if we overdose it, if we get it wrong, you'll feel like you have a little bit of sweetness in your mouth afterwards. Now that's just like, I always say, I feel somewhat the same way if I drink 54 grams of sugar in a drink totally. and I'm done drinking it. I still feel like I have sugar. Yeah. So I'm not sure that's unique, but you're more aware of it. If you're trying to reduce sugar, because you're, you've got such small amount of sugar that it's a sweetness. Um, so, and that's us just getting it right. So a lot of what we're listening to now is where do you want the sweetness level? How much of the sweetness can we do with proteins? We know in general, it's about on the low end, 70% reductions. And we think we can go up to about 90% where you don't notice either one of those, either a slight delay or a slight linger of the sweetness, mm. not an aftertaste. Cause it's just sweet. There's no artificial. It's just a linger. So, so interesting. So, okay. So this is really tight. I mean, this is really getting into the weeds for a second. Listeners just bear with me, but like, I'm thinking about back to biochemistry for a second. <laughs> it's like when you, you first get sweet, taste on your tongue it's really in the front of the tongue like Mm -hmm. does it so is this more like in the back like would you say that this is like more in the back of your mouth which is where I could see people then being convinced that it's an aftertaste versus just it's just hitting in a different part of your mouth right we're in the middle of doing predictive AI modeling on the whole taste molecule right and the way we experience taste it's still really in the front of your mouth it's yeah. just that even in the front, there's a back to the front, right? Yeah. That little, <laughs> yeah. That's still your taste receptors, your T1 and R2 taste receptors are yeah. this kind of little molecular web, right? Okay. And the way uh, any small molecule does is it just kind of bombards. The reason why you feel it at the front is because it hits the first ones at the front because it just bombards. Sweet proteins, each one different by each plant or berry has figured out which part of it to bind with. And that's still all happening at the front, but just even quarter second to a half second perceptible delays of which part yeah. of the front, because it it actually operates with it slightly differently. Um, and really the amount is just is again, um, we don't see it a lot, but we're very sensitive to it because people are so, they have such strong connotations with whether it's aspartame or stevia as we hear about a lot or monk fruit or anybody and what it does in their mouth. Um, so there's a lot of association, which people immediately think is either artificial or not plant-based or whatever. Um, so we're super sensitive to that physiologically, when we do studies on people that have had a regular sweet tea with sugar and ours, it's almost imperceptible on the on any sort of aftertaste. It just depends on how sweet of a tea you want, right? Right, right. So the sweeter you want it, 
the more sweet you just still have in your mouth after you're done, right? Yeah. Um, so some of that's very personal to sweet levels. So there's complexity in all of that when we look at the science way we measure it, but yeah. then trying to keep it simple, right? Love it. I mean, fascinating. All right. So I know we're running out of time. So I have to just make sure I ask you this. What are, are there any, now that you are CEO of a beverage company that is also biotech and not just beverage, <laughs> it's also food and beverage. Okay. I just melded those two together. What are you seeing as far as trends in, in your space? What else is happening in the category? What's surprising you? What's exciting you? What else is happening out there? What Give us a sneak peek of 2024. Well, I'll speak to the macro trends first, and then I'll tell you what I think is exciting we're doing. But if anything, I I find a little less excitement happening right now because of the, co- the world of costs, right? Inflation. I agree. Yes. yes. So if anything, I, I feel generally a retreat on a, yeah. on a bunch of things right now. Um, I'm not a, you couldn't do what I do as my career and not be an optimist. So I think we'll turn that corner <laughs> next year. Um, so I'm an optimist, but I think right now there's a little. Right. And so the things that are big have been big for a couple of years. There's gut, everything, right. Gut microbiome, everything there's, you can adapt to gen marketing, like you've never seen. Right. Um, So there's a lot of that that's still out there. Um, And I think, I think there's good innovation coming from that, even though I'm not sure all the tactics are great. Mm -hmm. What I think, obviously what I think with sweet proteins is um, rather than fix the problem of your gut, just don't created. Um, and that's one Love of the that. things yes. proteins are about, which is preventing <laughs> it. Um, so we'd like to think we come in the prevention category, less yeah. in the um, uh, recovery or, or repair um, category um, in, in the big picture. For us, there's some really exciting things coming next year. Um, later this fall, um, we will add, due to popular demand, some additional teas on Arnold Palmer, hot, hot topic. Cool. We're, we're calling it our RNEP. We're very excited about it, but Sign everybody wants the, the, first the first lemon round. crossover. Yeah. Give me a couple of weeks. It'll be yeah. available. Um, we're also available on Amazon now. So if you'd like to get us in your awesome. free prime, you can do that. That's easy. Um, so that's a big one. We're really excited about adding milk chocolate also due to popular demand. Um, and then, as I said, we're actually, I can't share with you yet who, but in November, we'll be announcing that we're working very closely with a couple of NFL players. Um, because what we found out is, and we have a lot of athletes that don't just get the need to reduce sugar, but they're very strongly advised and coached to stay away from sugar alternatives. And they're super excited about proteins. It also happens that a lot of them are still big guys who have to worry about things like diabetes um, mm-hmm. along with it. And so you will see some sports focused initiatives that we're largely going to do on behalf of some people we're going to be working with um, and let them be um, guide us in where people want us to go next with this product. So you'll see in that, in that category, and we're very excited about it. Awesome. That's amazing. All right, Ali, thank you for spending so much time with me and for going into so much detail. This is so fantastic. I feel like I've learned so much and I feel like our listeners probably have learned so much too. So I'm very excited about all of that. I've got to ask you the last question of this podcast, which is the most BS thing that you have seen in wellness recently, so far in your lifetime, you can answer that however you like, but just the thing that kind of like sticks in your craw and you're like, I just can't forget how stupid that is. (laughs) I, I think that I will say this a little less wellness and a little more food because it's kind of something that I've gotten a lot smarter on in food as I've been deep in this particular application. And that is the entire standards around flavors and what we call flavors. Mm. They're generally 
they're yeah. generally not required to disclose what's in them. Um, and they often can be, they are often and do market as a particular thing, but that may be 10% of what the flavor is. And mind you, flavors by definition, as opposed to an ingredient, are in small amounts, but small amounts in a lot of things we should understand what's in them. So I'm a little surprised at the standard um, or the lack of standard um, from a transparency point of view in, in some of what we allow as flavors in things today. It's a great one. I love it. All right, Allie, where can people find you? Where can people learn more about you, about Oubli? Where, where should we direct them? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I would love for people to check us out at oobly.com. It's O-O-B-L-I.com. And a couple really great things right now is you can still get your free trial if you listen to an educational okay. video. Um, we encourage you to sign up for, if you're not a sweet tea lover, that's okay. We're not going to be offended. Sign up for our list and we'll be announcing which products that we're releasing as well as we're releasing with um, maybe one of your favorite brands, because we're working with many big companies across the industry right now to help rehabilitate their foods. We're excited about that. And we're excited to let you know where and when those will be available. Lots will be coming over the next year. Um, and we also have a lot of good content and resources um, in our blog. Um, we, we work with an incredible scientific advisory board. We're working really hard to bring facts to the surface because there hasn't been much known about sweet proteins. Um, and we welcome the challenge. If you have questions, send them our way. We love it. So cool. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.